the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNOW presents... New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton, drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. When getting ready for the show, realizing... The year is almost over. 12 21 21. It's kind of an odd date to type, I guess. One, two, two, one, two, one. But, um, and speaking of dates, gosh, I already feel like I'm screwing up dates. You know how you get in December and then January, and it takes almost till mid February before you get used to writing 2022 when you sign something or, or type something in? I feel like I'm already screwing up dates and client contact management system, and that's where. When you do a task for a client, nothing happens unless it gets entered into the client contact management system. And, uh, you know, we use a Salesforce product and you have to put in when the due date is and get used to making sure you're clicking on the correct year of 2022 if it's due next year. Now, another issue with dates if you own mutual funds in a taxable account, so what is a taxable account? It's basically anything that's not a retirement account, right? It's not an IRA. It's not a Roth. It's not a 403B. It's not a 401k, not a 457. It's an account that you open directly yourself at a company like Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, and it's in your name only, or it could be joint with a spouse or a trust account. And in those types of accounts, remember when you sell something for a gain, if you've held it for over 12 months, it's taxed to the capital gains bracket, which is 0, 15 or 23.8% basically. Um, and when you are getting paid dividends and interest, stocks pay dividends, bonds pay interest, you pay taxes on it. Even though you're continuing to reinvest it, in most cases, you pay taxes. And if you own mutual funds in a taxable account, you need to take a look at your brokerage account. Because last week is when mutual fund companies finished, and ETFs too, for that matter. Most of them have now finished paying out their capital gains distribution dividends. Let me say that again. The capital gain distribution dividends. So what can happen is if you have a mutual fund and you buy in and... And even if they in a mutual fund, you can kind of have in buy into a capital gains problem because if they bought a lot of stock in a very successful company, let's say Apple, ten years ago, and you buy in today, and during the year they decide to sell some of those shares of Apple, even though let's say the mutual fund is flat for the year, most aren't. Almost everything's up except for international. 
But when the manager inside the fund decides to sell a stock at a gain, and there's no other losses to offset it, that gain gets passed through to the investor. And what you see is the share price will drop when you're due that capital gains distribution. And then the, the distribution comes a few days later and it buys you more shares. So sometimes you look at an account and say, oh, okay, well, the fund is way down today. But no, that's because it's owed a capital gains distribution. So what can happen is you can get a large tax event out of a mutual fund, especially, and, and a little bit in an ETF, but not as bad. And I'll explain why in a moment. Even though you didn't sell anything, and so it's 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 a bit shocking on some of the funds. If you look at some successful, actively managed small cap funds, commodity funds, in some cases, emerging markets that you know sold out of positions in China, we're seeing some large distributions this year. It's it's very reminiscent of the late 90s when this was happening, where there was a big run-up in the market for several years. Active managers started selling some positions and people were like getting these 1099s or, and, and owing capital gains taxes. And they're like, I didn't sell anything. Why would I own a capital gains tax? Well, that's because of the activity inside of the mutual fund. For example, one fund that I own, Wasatch Core Growth, a small cap actively managed fund, is... This year paid out 17% of the net asset value in a capital gains distribution. And so it's quite large. Now, also, this fund beat the Russell 2000 by 12% since late April. And, and what I mean by that, it, it small cap funds, like, you know, one of the things that I've learned for, you know, don't 28 and a half years in the business is that when you have a steep correction and stuff sells off, you look at the stuff that sold off way too far that was already almost cheap going into it. And that was some small cap issues, especially some small cap value. In this case, this one is a, is a growth version that we own. And since late April of 2020, when we're in the heart of the correction, Wasatch Core Growth, and this is not a recommendation to buy or sell exchange or buy or sell any securities, consult a broker advisor. Because now the fund, a lot of the holdings is actually pretty expensive because of the run-up. But Wasatch Core Growth is up 92.9% since April 2020 till today. And uh, well ahead of the Russell 2000 small and mid-cap uh, index, which is up 79.37%. And so obviously, they've you know done some trimming. They've uh, pulled some of the gains off the table. And that's causing some tax bills. And so this is some of the biggest mutual fund capital gains distributions. And even ETFs are surprising. Even companies like DFA that uh, kind of invented with smart beta, it's kind of a indexing with rules, are paying out some pretty large distributions on their small and mid-cap funds. If you own commodities and international, same thing. So check the realized gain loss in your taxable accounts if you have large taxable accounts and, and you own mutual funds. You might look at it and say, well, there wasn't very many trades. I, I, in terms of trading, I've only realized you know, X number of dollars in capital gains. But then when you look at the distributions, it's two or three times that much. So <clears throat> you've got to you know, take a look if you have large, uh, cap, large mutual fund positions in your taxable accounts. Now... Um, 
many mutual funds are switching to ETFs. I think, I think honestly, the, the idea of the mutual fund... So mutual funds and ETFs are very similar. In both cases, you buy in and you get a basket of stocks or bonds or a mix, right? Because it can have, it can be a balanced fund. Um, and so both are a basket of investments where somebody uh, is taking your money and they're, they're mirroring an index like the S&P 500 or they're actively managing it. There's a lot more and more actively managed ETFs. And most mutual funds, I think, are over the next five to 10 years, are just going to switch to ETF form. DFA, which is, like I said, kind of the inventor of the smart beta indexing approach where you take, okay, I want to look at the S&P 500, but I want to put a few metrics on it and only buy these types of stocks in it. And they still kind of run it very index-like. Um, why are ETFs more tax advantaged than a mutual fund if both of them you're buying into a basket of stocks? Well, I think if you want to find out and you're Google searching why are ETFs more tax efficient, the Morningstar article that talks about it is probably the best in, uh, explanation of it. Um, now, ETFs have greater liquidity over mutual funds because a mutual fund, when you buy or sell in the morning or throughout the day, you don't get the price until the end of the day. But ETFs are traded throughout the day. While mutual fund shares can only be bought or sold at the end of a trading day. So ETFs, a little bit more liquid, a little more actively traded. Now, the way that ETFs are created... ETFs are different to the extent, this Morningstar article says, that when money moves in and moves out, and even how the portfolio tends to be managed and rebalanced, is that it tends to be securities in stocks and bonds and securities out proposition. So that basically means, you know, in a mutual fund, here's the shares. And if you add money in, they just put the cash to work in the stocks that the manager wants to buy. And then if somebody wants to redeem their shares of a mutual fund and get the cash out, they have to turn around and sell those same kind of securities. But in an ETF, it's different. And so I'll explain a little bit more after the break because if you're investing outside of a retirement account, you want to look at ETFs. Talking about ETFs and ETFs being more tax efficient. Now, at a surface level, most ETFs track an index. So if you buy SPY or let's see, what are the other ones? IVV, VOO. I think most of those are all basically ETFs that mirror the S&P 500. So SPY is, I think, one of the older ones. And then everybody has a version of it. Most of the Companies that offer ETFs um, have a version of the S&P 500. And it's an index fund. So you get one big change a year in the S&P 500. So in general, index funds tend to be more tax efficient because there's not much trading that goes on. In an actively managed fund, mutual fund, or now even ETFs that can be actively managed, there's more trading that happens. And so... If you even if you have a down market in a mutual fund, which we haven't had for a while, but even if you have a down market in a mutual fund, but that fund has sold stock that they've owned forever, you know, long period of time, shares of Apple or whatever, and they sell it, and there's a gain in that position, and there's no other losses inside the fund to offset it, even though the market can be down, they can end up paying a capital gains distribution. And you owe taxes on it, even though you haven't sold anything. So ETFs can be more tax efficient, again, at a surface level, because they typically track an index where there's only one change a year. Um, but 
The biggest thing is that ETFs are exchange-traded funds. So again, remember, mutual funds and ETFs are very similar in that you put your money in and you're investing in a basket of stocks or bonds or a mix if it's a balanced approach. And then once your money's in there, the manager decides what to buy. If it's an index fund, it's just going to track and buy the same stocks that are an index. If it's actively managed, they're going to do some analysis and figure out where they want to overweight and underweight different stocks. ETFs trade all day long, so they're more liquid. Mutual funds only trade at the end of the day. So if you're looking at the stock market and there's a big dip and you're like, ooh, I'm going to put more money in this mutual fund in my taxable account or anywhere for that matter, and you put the money in at 10 a.m. when the market's down and then the market suddenly recovers and goes up, you're going to get the price at the end of the day on a mutual fund. An ETF, you're looking at the, tr- the, the price on the screen and that's about what the price that you're going to get. So more liquid, more maneuverable. Now, ETFs are called exchange-traded funds. Remember, ETF. They're different to the extent that when money moves in, according to this 40-star article, and money moves out, and when money moves in, moves out, and even with the portfolio, it tends to be managed and rebalanced. Um, What happens in an ETF is it tends to be securities in, stocks and bonds, for that matter. So you're looking at securities. What is a security? It can be stocks, bonds, uh, things like that. So when money moves in, stocks and bonds are moving in and securities are moving out when people redeem. Because ETFs have this thing called an in-kind creation and redemption mechanism. It's their structure. So when new ETF shares are needed or wanted by investors, a special breed of market maker is called an authorized participant. And so if there's a new buyer of an ETF and shares need to be created, this authorized participant collects all of the stocks and or bonds that might be in that ETF. It collects them into a pot, essentially, and hands them over to the ETF manager, and then they add those to the portfolio. So they're creating new shares in an ETF. And when those shares are no longer needed, the reverse happens. The authorized participant goes out, buys ETF shares, hands them back to the asset manager, and gets the stocks or bonds, the underlying basket essentially in return. There's no cash changing hands in that transaction. And as a result, ETFs tend to be more tax efficient because of the in-kind creation or redemption. While mutual funds are, you got to put cash in and then they got to sell those securities, create the taxable event and then push cash out. So if you have a down year and you've got a bunch of investors redeeming this is kind of something that happened in i think it was 1999 you know where the market had run way up and then you had 2000 come along and mutual funds were down and a lot of people sold because they got scared and <clears throat> then there was a capital gains distribution and those that didn't sell are like paying taxes on their mutual funds that were down in value and it was just like why is this happening it was very confusing well that's some of the reason why and so ETFs have a better structure, plain and simple. ETFs have a better structure. That's why certain companies like DFA, which is uh, smart beta funds that are only sold through advisors or inside your 401k in some cases, they've always been dedicated to very low cost mutual funds l- available only through approved advisors. And now they're switching. They've, they've launched several ETFs or exchange-traded funds. Franklin recently announced that they're going to be converting funds from mutual funds to ETFs. And 
T. Rowe Price has actively managed ETFs already on their website. So you've got to get used to the term ETF, exchange-traded fund. It's basically going to take over the mutual fund in terms of how people invest. And how you should invest changes based on the types of account that you have. And it, it kind of flows through life. Because when I was younger, I never had you know, enough money to invest outside my retirement accounts, right? Um, as a business owner, you're kind of you know, growing your business as much as you can. Um, you never seem to withhold enough taxes. You're always filing an extension so you have more time to fund your retirement account for the previous year. But then you get to a point where everything kind of settles in and, and you've maxed out your 401k at other options and you start having to realize that I've got to catch up. I've got to save even more money, but I've maxed out my IRA and my 401k or my Roth in my 401k. So then you create a regular you know, taxable account. So the steps that you should take, like I've mentioned before, is if you're young and starting out, you max out your 401k. Usually doing the Roth is the best thing. You put enough money in there to get the match. That's a no-brainer free money before you do anything else. The next step is you pay off any non-mortgage debt. So if you have car loans and student loans and stuff like that, well, student loans, you got to be careful because you know there's always these potential proposals about wiping out some student loan debt and it is tax deductible. So let's maybe say pay off all non-mortgage and non-student loan debt right away. Student loan debt, do a little bit more research on it. Once that's done, then put more money into a Roth IRA. And then if you can do that for a year or two, and all of a sudden you have even more money because of raises and stock options and things like that, then go back and max out that 401k. And that's about where most people... I mean, most Americans can't even get to that point. But if you are lucky enough, you make enough money to save even beyond that $26,000 in a... Well, let's, let's call it nineteen five for younger people. It's going up in 2022. And then you put money into the Roth at six grand. Um, and you've got that all maxed out, then save at least one year in a normal brokerage account. And when you're doing that, what do you invest in in a normal brokerage account? Concentrate on ETFs, large cap ETFs, dividend achiever ETFs. Make sure when you buy them, they reinvest the dividends. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcase is always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. Um, all right, we're talking about kind of steps that you take because you know, as, as you start to build wealth, when you're younger, you can barely afford to put money into the 401k to get the match. And then you got to pay down your bad debt. And uh, then you go back and max out the Roth IRA. And then you go back to your 401k and get that boosted up. 2021, $19,500 or $26,000 if you're over 50. Once you've done that, then, then you've kind of run out of other options. Um, the next thing you do is, is create a normal brokerage account. So an account in your name only, in the name of your trust, if you have a living trust or with your spouse, joint account, joint trust. And you start investing money. And when you're doing this, you really have to pay attention to asset location, holding the right assets in the right place. When you have a regular account, you want to keep taxes as low as possible. So investing in ETFs, especially that track a large cap index, um, and having those 
dividends that those stocks pay inside the, the ETF. Remember, ETF is exchange traded fund. It's just a basket of stocks. It's like IVV and SPY and VO. That's, they, they're all ones that track the S&P 500. They buy the same stocks that the S&P 500 has inside of it. And it only trades about once a year. And so you're paying taxes on the dividends, but not a lot on capital gains. And I really like, look at dividend achievers. Those are a good way to do it. So your, your, your normal, your, your brokerage account, your non-retirement account is really going to concentrate on large cap ETFs. Now, most people shouldn't buy individual stocks unless they have well over you know, half a million dollars and then they can have time to do the research because most people won't outperform a basic large cap ETF over time. When you buy these things, make sure you when, when you do the trade that you, the dividends are being reinvested because most of these ETFs are going to be yielding you know 1.2 to 2 percent just in the dividends. So no matter what the stock market's doing, dividends are being paid, and you want to have those buy more shares for you so they just increase your passive income over time. So when you're building wealth, you're concentrating on large cap stocks outside of your retirement account. That means inside your retirement accounts, once you get to that level, you don't need to be adding as many large cap buys in your 401k. So if you're starting to buy a bunch of large cap ETF positions inside your taxable account, then refunnel your 401k contributions. Start adding more to small cap and emerging markets and other things that you don't want in your taxable account. You want small cap emerging markets commodities and real estate or REITs inside your retirement accounts because they're very tax inefficient. I shared at the beginning of the hour, actively managed small cap growth fund that's been very successful, but just paid out a giant capital gains distribution. And that hurts. Most of the time we try to hold that fund whenever we can in a retirement account because of that reason. In some cases, we couldn't though. Some cases, people had large dollar amounts and we needed that small cap exposure because it was super attractive. And you know, there we go. Taxable accounts are getting some distribution. So as you fund that taxable account, contributions in your 401k should change because you got to look at your entire household in one pie chart. What do I own? Large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, commodities, REITs, things like that. Another good reason why you really want to build up this exposure to stocks outside of retirement accounts is so you can get at it if you need it, right? Retirement accounts are locked up. Um, until you're 59 and a half, there's a 10% penalty plus pay taxes on what you pull out. And it's not a good idea to take a 401k loan even to buy a new home because let's say you take a 401k loan over 15 years to put a down payment on a house. First of all, that debt, the, that payment counts against you in terms of when the mortgage company is looking at you for seeing if you qualify. Second, most people change jobs so often now. We're seeing this, this kind of uh, epidemic really of people in their late 20s and into and their mid-30s seemingly to change jobs every two years. And so if you take a 401k loan and then you leave that company, that money is... That loan, you got to pay it all back right when you leave. Otherwise, what's remaining becomes taxable with a 10% penalty. 401k loans are a horrible idea. So if you invest money outside of your retirement account and you need to get access to something, well, then you can you know, sell it and buy what you need to buy. Maybe real estate takes a big dip because interest rates go up and you want to jump on a rental property opportunity or 
want to buy a new home, then you could sell that easily inside your brokerage account, pay a little taxes, and then move on. I've got a lot of clients that have large taxable accounts because they've invested over the years and they're they're older, so they've, they've you know built up money in these accounts. And some of them are very active in real estate or other business deals where they want to buy a piece of property, but everything's an all-cash offer right now. So you, you buy a piece of property. I did this on my last rental property where buy it in all cash, but I, I want leverage on it because that's if you listen to the real estate versus stock show, I definitely prefer stocks. But if I'm going to do real estate, I want a little leverage in there. And then afterwards, you if you refinance in a certain amount of time after closing, you can pull the cash out and still get the same interest rates. And but the thing is, is when you in these this day and age, when you're trying to buy real estate with all cash, let's say you you're find this great deal on a rental property, and you know you have to put an all cash offer in, but if you take money out of your taxable account at Schwab or TD Ameritrade. And you sell, there's been a big, huge run up in the stock market. You're going to pay a big capital gains to do that. Well, if it's only a short term need for cash because you're about to refinance, you can do a collateralized loan against your securities um, at a very low rate. I'm not talking about a margin loan, but a collateralized loan. So you can take some money out, pay some basically LIBOR plus a percent or so. And then as soon as you get that refinance done, you pay the money back and you've never, you've created liquidity, but you never sold your stocks. And that can be very helpful for things like tax bills, where you know you're, you've got a cash payment soon, but you got to pay some taxes. You got a quick deal in a real estate or a business closing, just a quick need for cash. So it's very important to have account diversification when you go into retirement. Most people are retiring these days, and the majority of their net worth is in their 401k and probably their house. But remember, we don't count the home as an asset available for retirement, unless you're going to model the sale of it. Until then, it's your home. And it's a kind of a liability, right? You got property taxes and maintenance and mortgage and things like that. And so most people are retiring with all their money in a pre-tax 401k, so they don't really have a lot of options. Whatever they pulled out, 100% taxable. But if you focus on the plan that I talked about, you put enough money into your 401k to get the match. Your, when you're younger, your contributions go into the Roth, which grows tax-free. The employer contribution goes into the pre-tax account, which grows tax-deferred, but is 100% taxable when you retire. Then you max out your Roth IRA, again, totally tax-free. Then you go back to your 401k, max that out. There's a mix of taxable and tax-free in the Roth 401k. Then you go to the brokerage account where you're investing in stocks. And then you got capital gains rules and dividends, which are also qualified dividends that are taxed as capital gains. And long story short, if you have account diversification once you get to retirement, cash, yeah, ETFs or stocks held in a normal brokerage account, tax-free bonds held in a normal brokerage account, and then all the other asset classes in your retirement accounts, you can really control your tax bracket. You can take large amount of money out at a very low rate and even do IRA to Roth conversions and, and really blend your taxes. There's a lot of creativity that you can do. So most people just kind of blindly focus on maxing out that pre-tax 401k so they can save as many taxes as possible now. People, taxes are going up in the future. We keep getting massive amounts of stimulus thrown at the economy to save us from bubbles that are created mostly by Congress, in my opinion. And um, I'm not saying there's a bubble right now or anything like that. But I mean, <laughs> we had the CARES Act, the SECURE Act, we had the PPP loans. 
And now we have the Build Back Better plan that obviously is not going to get passed this year in any way, shape, or form. And that's another form. It's a form of stimulus. And then we have Social Security, where it is currently underfunded. By It's projected that by 2034, there's going to be more benefits being paid out of Social Security for retirement and disability than money going in. And if you want to see how much money is going in, just look at your paycheck and look at FICA. You pay half, your employer pays half. Over 12% of your pay goes in. Half is yours and half is the employer. That goes on top of that. And with those numbers, it's underfunded. So they're going to have to change Social Security either. It's going to be a combination of moving the, the minimum date to like, say, 70. But people that are working and making over 100 and what's the number now, like 50 a year, they stop paying FICA. That number is going to go up. So we're all going to end up paying more on FICA. We're all going to have, you know, this is, I've been in the business 28 years. And when I got into the business, capital gains taxes were 27%. Now there's a zero a 15 and a 20% bracket. And, and ordinary income brackets have come right down and the standard uh, deduction went up. And so we have more and more debt at the US government level because of their spending habits and because of uh, stimulus. It's just the numbers... You don't have to be... you know, Have gone to MIT. The numbers don't make sense the way it is now. Taxes are going to have to go up in the future because we've already kind of tried to grow our way out of it with stimulus. And not too worried about net debt now. It's more from debt for my grandkids. So anyways, focus on that Roth, I guess is a long story after I get off my soapbox here. A couple of things. We're seeing some you know, volatility as we come through the end of the year. We've got, uh, as I'm looking at it right now, the last month in the market has seen the S&P 500 drop by about 2%. Um, yesterday, it was a little, a little more. But in the NASDAQ, yesterday, it was down about 6%. We're recovering a little bit today. There's been a big run-up in the market. I mean, the returns to the S&P 500 up 23%. You're going to see some rebalancing, right? A lot of people had planned on taking gains this year. And then at the end of November, all of a sudden, Biden took all the tax proposals off the table and no changes were really being made because they couldn't even get the Build Back Better plan passed. Um. So those gains were likely there's going to you're, you're going to see a lot of rebalancing that occurs in January. What I mean by that is you have a lot of people that look at you know target retirement date funds, asset allocation funds in their 401k, where those funds have a mandate to keep a certain amount of equity, which is stock. So whenever you hear, hear the term equity, it's the same thing as stocks. So those funds have a certain mandate in terms of how much stocks they own versus bonds and cash and other assets, and Usually when it goes above a certain amount, like we tend to look at you know, 10%. So if you have a 60-40 portfolio and your 60% stocks have now become 66% stocks, then, then you start trimming. And a lot of that occurs in January. Some firms rebalance annually, some you know, twice a year, some quarterly. So don't be surprised. You see some gains being taken. You're also hearing the idea that interest rates are, are going to go up. Um, because of the Fed, what the Fed's doing. The Feds have been buying billion dollars versus of of, uh, of bonds um, to keep the bond market up since basically since the big dip occurred back in March and April of last year. And the you know ten year Treasury weight has kind of bounced back and forth between one point six five and uh, about one point three five percent for the last. Probably six months or so. And, you know, 
based on if the economy continues to move forward and Omicron doesn't you know, shut things down a lot more again, um, that should be 2% relatively soon based on you know, if the economy continues to grow, interest rates going up. Now, that's one of the reasons why you saw the NASDAQ pull back because there's this idea that tech stocks are more sensitive to interest rates. Tech stocks have very high valuations right now. And when you look at valuations, valuations are all about future growth and cash flow. And so when interest rates rise, the value of that future cash flow is discounted, right? Because the tech stocks, that's where all the revenue growth is. When you look at the P ratios, they're very high, but the revenue is growing very quickly. The, the cash flow is growing very quick, quickly. And so they get a high valuation. But when interest rates go up, that discounts that future cash flow. And so you get a pullback in tech stocks. There's other areas too, like utilities, which are just stocks that kind of sit there and pay a dividend, a higher dividend than most, but don't grow much. Those can also be sensitive to that. So you'll see that rotation. And you know the future price-earnings ratio of the S&P 500 is a little over 21.5 or so, which is relatively high historically. Um, you know, It's big buys like sub-16, and then you get fully valued at north of 19. Um, but that all depends on interest rates. You could uh, really low interest rates warrant a higher PE ratio, price earnings ratio, which is where we're at right now. Um, Goldman Sachs came out. I'll see how much time I have today to get to both of these, but Goldman um, Sachs U.S. equity strategist David Kosen reiterated Monday, and this is um, Brian Sozzi's article and his editor at large at Yahoo Finance. Um, reiterated Monday, an S&P 500 target by the end of 2022 of 5,100, which is a 12% increase. We expect these gains will be driven primarily by earnings per share growth of 8% combined with a stable PE multiple. And, um, you know, again, positive call. Now, Siegel, Professor Siegel, he's kind of tied to Wisdom Tree, which has a bunch of ETFs over there. He's a kind of a permable. He's really been right for the last many years. He noted that if somebody, if you look at the S&P 500 and you remove the mega tech stocks, the FANG names, and you remove Microsoft, which are huge amounts of the S&P 500, the S&P 500 price to ratio, price to earnings ratio to 2022 expected earnings falls to 19, right? So you get, if you remove the Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and Microsoft, from the S&P 500, you get a much more reasonable price-to-earnings ratio. So he basically is arguing that there's still several areas of the market that are fairly valued or even on sale. And that corporations are strong enough to withstand four interest rate hikes of 25 basis points next year. And uh, you know that's the idea because we got we got to fight this inflation, right? He says that U.S. valuation metrics could be subject to change next year. In particular, he suggested investors facing problems with portfolios overweighted and long-duration assets like tech stocks, which could be hurt by rising rates, might want to shift their preference in favor of dividend-paying value stocks. Many shares of so-called value companies have underperformed growth stocks for one of the longest periods in history. Now, the other way to look at that too is that this is more than a decade now where international stocks have underperformed U.S. stocks. I tell you what, there's you know you saw a bunch of money piling into emerging markets. Uh, international developed is up, 
you know, still 10, 12% and less than half the S&P 500, but emerging markets, because of what happened in China and, and the coronavirus down drastically, but if that all gets turned around and fixed valuations, there are better. So, you know, look at, look at your portfolio. If you're too much large cap growth and you need some other things, maybe change your 401k contributions to start getting some international emerging markets, small cap value, large cap value, other things besides just what's done well over the last decade. You got to get that diversification in there. Um, and if you're older, you might even need to trim and sell and, and take some gains and move on. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. If you go to chadburton.com, you can find links to all the various podcast platforms that you can listen to iTunes. It's all there. You can shoot me an email, question for the show, request an appointment. It's all there at chadburton.com. Have a great day. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.